It's the Our Outside podcast from the Minority Outdoor Alliance. I'm Ashley Smith. And I'm Darrell Smith. What is the Our Outside podcast? What do we value as individuals? And what do we value as an organization? We ask ourselves that as your host and the founders of the nonprofit, the Minority Outdoor Alliance. We actually ask ourselves a number of key questions that we think may give our growing audience context and clarity on what it means to bring the unlikely to the outdoors, while simultaneously defining what the active sporting outdoors is. Throughout the episodes, we hope to give you a glimpse into our future plans and initiatives to continue creating conversations that will lead to more diversity, equity, and inclusion in the active outdoors and encourage more communities of color to participate in the conversation of land and water conservation. So join us. Miss Ashley? Yes. Been a minute. It has. We've been quite busy mm-hmm. here at the Minority Outdoor Alliance. We've been doing lots of traveling. Um, have had the opportunity to give lots of diversity, equity, inclusion talks and trainings around the nation. Um, you've been doing a lot of bird dog training um, and bird dog demos. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we've been really busy, um, but happy to be back and happy to. Uh, let the audience hear a bit about SCDNR and all they have going on. Um, our MOA Festival is coming up. Be sure to get your tickets. We are so excited to welcome you all again. We have a wonderful weekend planned for you all. Um, full of fly fishing, sporting clays, ATVs, an archery clinic, um, lots of different vendors, some conservation education things, and Yukonuba has a phenomenal setup plan for everybody, so it's going to be a really good time. If you can make it, we'd love to see you in Sylacauga, Alabama. August 27th, all the events will um, pretty much kick off, and that Saturday evening, uh, we'll crown the evening with our scholarship banquet and award um, some more deserving students with $10,000 for their outdoor pursuits and education. And Sunday, we're going to wrap up with some um, with some light events and um, I look forward to seeing everyone next year. So be on the lookout um, via our Instagram for more information. Um, you and can go the, to the uh, website. Show notes, I'll put them in there too. Okay. And Darrell's going to put the MOA Fest show notes in, uh, put the MOA Fest information in the show notes. Um, and you can actually go to the Minority Outdoor Alliance website and buy your tickets right now. Yep. So, uh, in addition to uh, the Minority Outdoor Alliance Festival, if we go back to last year's, um, I was able to get Rena Peck from the Georgia River Network. Her uh, her uh, painting that she actually won in the auction I was excited to finish that, and it was a commission piece for her dog, Oki, um, because she found the dog in the Okefenokee Swamp, and there has been a lot of really, really, really cool stuff that Rena's been doing, you know, for the swamp. She just had a really cool film 
uh, Okie Finoki Destiny come out that we will also be talking about with her a little bit later on. Um, but I just wanted to say a special thank you to Rena for the opportunity to get that done. Absolutely. Thank you, Rena. We know we love Rena. We love Georgia River Network. They are also a trusted partner of the Minority Outdoor Alliance. We do lots of good work for them. They will definitely have a presence at the festival as well. Yep, yep. Um, and so on this episode, um, Ashley, you were out, you know, being awesome and <laughs> taking care of some business. So I actually was recording, uh, I recorded this one on, you know, it was just me. And the episode was really, really, really insightful. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, it, it... Got to listen to the recording. Mm-hmm. Said I missed you, um, Diane and Alex, when you guys listened to this Um of course, like Darrell said earlier, we had bajillion things Save going on. No, bajillion things going on, but so glad that you guys were still able to join us. And we're so excited about all the SCDNR is doing. But I enjoyed listening to the episode and I'm excited for the audience to hear it as well. Yep. And um, just a, a, a little bit of an overview. We talked about what partnerships you know, are involved with the South Carolina DNR on a state by state basis. And we talk about barriers Um, Between law enforcement and underrepresented audiences, in addition to some firearms thoughts, um, you know, as far as, you know, black and brown communities and the uh, Juneteenth event that is going on tomorrow in South Carolina. So we give all those details on this episode and uh, we had a good time. So stay tuned for this episode of the Minority Outdoor Alliance Our Outside Podcast with Diana Prestigiacomo and Alex Pedraza. The last 50 years, we've been swayed by nothing but science. The premium performance lineup of Yukonuba Sporting Dog harnesses the power of evidence-based nutritional science to empower healthy athletic dogs to perform at their best. Find your dog's fuel at yukonubasportingdog.com through the various selections of formulas to get your dog up and running and off the line, whether you got pointers or retrievers, labs, setters, short hairs, whatever you got. Get your dog fueled up and go beyond protein and fat with a lineup of performance diets formulated to fuel different activity levels and support post-exercise recovery and optimize nutrient delivery. Find your dog's fuel again at yukonubasportingdog.com. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Minority Outdoor Alliance, Our Outside podcast. Back with us today from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources is our newest guest, Ms. Alex uh, Pedraza, and our former guest, and glad to have you back, is Ms. Diana Prestigiacomo. Well, first of all, how are y'all? Thank y'all for coming back. We're doing good. Um, it's busy, busy time of year right now with summer kicking off, um, but we're we're doing really good. Okay, okay, okay. And Ms. Alex, how are you? I'm doing great. Okay. Thank you. Well, let's open up with the cool stuff first before we go down the rabbit hole. Let's talk about this weekend, Juneteenth. Yeah. 
and yeah. and and how you guys are planning on celebrating. I want to get into that a little bit because I'm excited to join y'all there as well. Yes, and we're super excited to have you. So um, our program, we are now being called the Community Engagement Program. We have decided to spend Juneteenth weekend celebrating African-American culture and doing that through a field day, a family fun field day. And how it's going to work is we're going to have kayaking, we're going to do guided hikes, we're going to have people fishing and teaching people how to fish, and we're going to have you, Darrell, join us as well to talk to us a little bit about upland hunting, and you're going to be bringing your dogs. We are so excited. Um, Everything is free, by the way. I like to plug that in there. Free, free, free. We're definitely planning to cater food as well, so free food. Um, free activities. We're going to have all kinds of free stuff, um, including t-shirts, some really fun t-shirts we're going to be handing out, all kinds of great swag, and just a really great time to just come out, hang out with SCD and our folks, get to know us, get to know what we do, and just have fun doing it. Um, Definitely family friendly. Please bring your kids. I know that Juneteenth itself falls on Father's Day. So this is a great chance to come and celebrate some Father's Day fun. It is open to the public. Everyone's welcome. I'm going to say it again, free, free, free. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The thing is, with this event is we are asking everyone to register in advance. Uh, We have a link that um, I will make sure to get to you to kind of know where to go to register. Mm -hmm. Um, All it is is asking your general information as well as filling out the safety precautionary forms. Um, And this way also we can make sure we account for you for food um, and make sure that we have plenty of food for everyone. So please come. We want you there. It's all free. <laughs> we just ask that you register in advance. Yep. 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 And yeah, but well, I will say if you don't have the chance to make it to this one, this Juneteenth weekend, mm-hmm. we are doing this exact same family field day again, but in October. Mm-hmm. On October for Latin American History Month, we are going to have a family field day. Um, but that one, we are going to have Spanish translations for the one this weekend as well as needed. Um, but the October 8th family field event, this is kind of a cool thing, is going to be completely offered in Spanish with English interpretation available nice. as needed. So nice. The thing about one. So I, that's been something that I also kind of want to, you know, get you guys' thoughts on because I've actually not seen that offered in the reverse, you know, in a lot of outdoor programming and stuff like that is to say, Hey, look, we're going to do Spanish with English translations. Um, and I think that's really, um, an important piece. Uh, Ashley, my wife is fluent. And so, you know, a lot of the times those are, those have been some of the things that we've been thinking about going forward with, you know, some of our programming is like, how do we incorporate and overcome the language barrier? you know, that'll help also get outside. But, you know, that being said, we've got an African-American, you know, history celebration and a Latin American history celebration coming in in, in June and October. Um, and you guys are doing an incredible job at putting together this stuff. So, Alex, I want to introduce you and what you do for 
um, South Carolina DNR as well. Well, thank you. I, um, what can I tell you? So I grew up in Colombia, South America. So it was a very large city with about a million people. And it was until I was a college student that I was introduced to the outdoors. Um, so my story is a little different from a lot of people uh, here. Um, but with those classes that we took, I had the chance to see beautiful places, and wildlife, and I decided to get involved in conservation efforts. So later on, when I moved to the States, I, um, I continued to work towards working in conservation. I got myself a technical college, and when I was in that technical college, I I applied for an internship with CDNR. Towards the end of the internship, I I, I was offered a full time job. This time was to work in outreach and education uh, for Hispanic audiences, and because the department was very aware that we were in certain this population in our state. Um, so that's my role. That in my role since 2015. Nice. And then we expanded the program to the African American audience in 2017. So that's where also Diana is involved. We're trying to serve different audiences, um, underrepresented audiences uh, mainly, but we want everyone like Diana mentioned. So. Nice. <laughs> okay. So you, you, your journey has taken you, you know, through some traveling. So, and that, and that seems to be the, the correlating thing between y'all both is both of y'all ended up in South Carolina coming from completely, completely different environments and completely different communities. Um, I think that that's, that's, that's a strong, like one of y'all strong suits, you think? I would say so. I think that ability to see what other places are like, see what other, um, what the outdoor world looks like in other parts of this country as well as other countries um, has allowed the opportunity for us to bring the best that we can and cultivate those experiences to better serve this state of South Carolina. Nice. Of course, I've got all of the 50 million different uh, questions and, and, and things that I want to dive into about history and, and things like that. But let's start with, you know, let's, let's, let's understand the structure of the outdoor industry first. Like let's, let's talk about that. Um, and in that, I kind of want to break down some aspects with the South Carolina DNR and you guys' partnerships on a state by state basis. So let's talk about like, how are you guys partnered and organized? Um, and what partnerships do you guys have on a state by state basis with other community engagement programs? So each DNR agency has their own structure, and they have their own uh, methods of achieving conservation efforts, including how to engage with the public. And at SCDNR, in our program, we have uh, opportunities to the to communicate with our agencies 
We are able to attend different conferences in the country, and we can just see how everybody's working in similar issues, including wildlife management, education, and outreach initiatives. Uh, we work with the Minorities in Natural Resource Conservation Committee from the Southeastern Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies to speak with PEI uh, representatives from different states and brainstorm about opportunities, not only for South Carolinians, but for all unrepresented people in the United States to have greater opportunities to be outdoors. At more local level, we also try to find partners, and we will call them like non-traditional partners because some of them are groups that traditionally we haven't partnered, like public health groups, yeah. um, because they have already been working in with our black communities and our Hispanic audiences, and they already have the trust of the community and they've been really good groups to work with. They have slightly different missions, but at the end of the day, they're trying to serve the same communities. So this has been good for us. Cool. Now, let me ask you guys this also, um, particularly in addressing Latin American and African-American communities, but particularly with Latin American communities, like what have been some of your strategies in getting that engagement and getting that kind of connection, you know, to the outdoors? So I will say there is not a single way to connect better with the Hispanic audience. I mean, we have learned from research that there are multiple challenges uh, for connecting with the with the Hispanic guys. So agencies like like us require a multi-layer approach. Uh, we need to look at things like representation and communication. So we have look at representation when it comes to our own staff and volunteers. Um, but, excuse me, but we have also made sure that our marketing materials and our advertisements are more diverse and inclusive. When I first came to the agency, we were trying to advertise some of our programs, and there was not a lot of representation in our in pictures or website or anything like that. And this is important because if you see yourself with those pictures, you probably feel like you're talking up there. Right. Um, we can also work on improving communication by establishing new channels and mm -hmm. um, CDNR we have worked on these we have a Spanish web, uh, website and we also have a Facebook page and people can reach us in Spanish uh, via messenger or email uh, we also have specific programs for this audience like Diana mentioned like where we have a staff and volunteers that provide content and materials in Spanish or bilingual and we will also recommend conducting some kind of research to further explore what are the barriers that the Hispanic audiences might be facing related to outdoor opportunities. And the best way to do this is getting feedback directly from them 
as opposed to making our own assumptions, right? right? So that's something that we have also started working on at the CDNR. Excellent. Excellent. Now, how's that been going? How's that process been going? So it's a very long process. Uh, it includes working with, uh, with working with Emerson University. Okay. And my, you know, my buddy Hunter's up there. Uh, I think. Yes. He, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated from Emerson in 2021. So. Okay. Uh, so we work on developing a survey and we are going to start delivering that survey here sometime soon. And, um, but it's a, it's a very long process. Yeah. <laughs> it has been a long process, but I think it's needed because there is not a lot of research like this right. in the country, and especially in the South. Right. So this is something that we need. We need to get the feedback from the Hispanic audience. And a lot of the national surveys of kind of always like culture in the sense that they don't get a lot of feedback from underrepresented audiences. Mm-hmm. So we need to get the feedback from underrepresented audiences. Right. Absolutely. Have you know, that has been a thing that I've found and Ashley and I have both found as we you know, we'll sit up late at night and kind of just go over some of the findings that we do because it's a lot of this stuff is research reading in addition to asking questions and find out, finding out like historically what's worked, what hasn't worked, what's been done in the past, and and what honestly makes a lot of our communities aversive to giving a lot of that, you know, knowledge and resource. I mean, uh, research and stuff like that because there's been a lot of stuff that goes on um, that kind of skews it, but. You know, I I think there's a lot of overlap across underrepresented communities um, as far as like the things that keep us out of the woods and off the water. Um, There are certain commonalities from, you know, like I said, African-American, Asian-American, Latin American, all kinds of communities. And one of those things has been, um, you know, overcoming barriers, obviously, but barriers um, between law enforcement and underrepresented audiences. Um, as we talk about the structure of the South Carolina DNR, you guys obviously are a law enforcement agency. And I want to hyper-focus on why the relationship with you guys and other law enforcement is important. But we got to look at the barriers. So what are some of the barriers that you guys are seeing? So... Um... That's a great question. So I feel like there's a plethora of answers for that. Mm-hmm. However, Alex and I can both agree that communication and representation, those are the, our top two that what we see in our field on a regular basis, right? So um, as Alex was saying, with that level of communication between law enforcement individual and somebody who is English is not their first language, or um, and then also just on the that basic level of seeing yourself in law enforcement and yeah. seeing someone that you can trust as opposed to seeing someone who you will not relate to when you are uh, make adding on to that fear. So there's a few ways that we try to address this. Um, currently, there is a very active piece that law enforcement specifically in DNR is working to create better representation in their law enforcement officers 
that better represents the state of South Carolina. And what I mean by that is, for example, the county that Alex and I are based out of is 50% Black population. Our law enforcement that work this area could represent, at least to some degree, that representation that we see within the citizens that live here. Right. Um, there's no reason there should be more or less of, of, of one or the other. Right. Um, and some some really great initiatives that I think I'm very proud of to talk about with SCDNR is they're incorporating that base those basic Spanish language phrases that law enforcement can learn and memorize. They're, that's becoming a part of the training process for them to help with that communication barrier, so that when they interact with people from the public where maybe English is not their first language, Spanish is their first language, they can have that basic understanding of what they what the the individual that's being confronted or being seen by the law enforcement officer can have that basic understanding of what the law enforcement officer is trying to say to them they can figure out what the right way to navigate that situation is um and maybe sometimes it's as simple as finding out oh i had one piece of information missing off of my boat or i didn't realize i needed to be wearing international orange or whatever the situation is those basic phrases and helping breaking down slightly those barriers is going to happen through training our current law enforcement staff, as well as creating greater opportunity in the communities that we work with to have representation actually in our law enforcement staff. So those are a few things that we're doing to address that, those, those barriers that we're seeing. Hey folks, just to take a break in between the episode, I want to remind you guys to take a look at our show notes or go to MinorityOutdoorAlliance.org and get registered for the Minority Outdoor Alliance Festival 2022 in August in Sylacauga, Alabama on the 26th. Events really take place on the 27th and we'll end wrap up on the 28th. Um, we would love to see you guys there and thanks this stuff would not be possible without support from all of y'all in addition to our partnerships uh, like Yukonuba Sporting Dog who will be at the festival among many others what are some of those phrases and things like give me some examples so for example well actually Alex you were the one that um I think you translated some of them for us. Right? Okay. Do you still? Yeah, I did. <laughs> so it would be something like when the officer encounters a person, you tell them your fish is too small, it's too big, whereas you're, uh, you're operating under the influence, you can do that. Kids need to have life jackets. It's a lot of safety oriented uh, phrases. Okay. Cool. I never thought about that. Like just, just thinking about your approach. So, um, matter of fact, I was talking to, uh, the guys down at the Alabama DNR and they'll be at the festival minority outdoor Alliance festival as well. Um, helping out with archery and things like that. Well, you know, I was talking to Mr. Bill and he was saying, um, you know, that, yeah, like, how how we approach and interact with law enforcement in the woods can be a bit of a challenge. Like I said, I, I think I've told this story before to you, Diana. I think so. 
But, you know, basically walking out of the, out of a WMA here in Georgia and there's a DNR officer sitting right there at your truck, like, you know, I can imagine it was already enough of a shock for me and I wasn't doing anything wrong. You know, the dude just didn't know that where I was hunting was even a part of the WMA. I just kind of taken this off road to get there. Um, you know, it was, I was still very well within my right and things like that, but I had my paperwork, you know, my license and stuff. I always print my licenses just because what happens if my phone goes out or something like that? Like, let me just print it. Um, that is something that, you know, being, being a minority in the woods, I just think it's important to have on me. Um, and that just adds that extra layer of security. But those are things that I think about. I can only imagine if I wanted to go hunting or maybe I came from a country that hunting is popular or, or, or normal or, 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 you know, more common, but I don't speak English. You see what I'm saying? And I still want to maintain what it is that I'm doing, but I can't communicate. Like, I think it's awesome that you guys are equipping, you know, your officers to say, Hey, look, you know, let me help bridge that gap. And, and, and again, you're not coming at anybody with any kind of opposition that really lowers the threshold for people. And I think that's awesome that you guys have that strategy there. Again, things that I've never heard of in the law enforcement division um, that I'm just really impressed with y'all for doing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, y'all are on it, man. Um, so look, you know, when we, we talk about, you know, going into, um, or, or engaging with populations, you know, from DNR, um, what have been, I guess, some, some success stories about how you guys may have connected, particularly with Latin American communities? Um, what are some of y'all success stories? Alex, you want to open up that one for me? Sure. So I would say, um, I would say probably the Facebook page was one of the success stories because when we started it it was made to communicate emergency messages to the community or weather uh, some of the hurricanes and big storms that we have in South Carolina back in 2015 and 2016 and unfortunately at the time it was very slow for us to put those messages our live segment in our website so we had to figure out really quick how to fix that because obviously Carolina, all lives in South Carolina, independent if they speak English or not, they are in South Carolina and our goal is to save lives and our goal is to make uh, the job of law enforcement officers to often have to rescue those people wow. easier. So we opened the Facebook page, we didn't really think much about it, we only have couple of hundred people at the beginning and now we have more than five thousand. I know there's spaces out there that have a lot more, but for us five thousand um Spanish speaker users is a lot and it's it's a good way to communicate with them. I will also say on a regular basis they reach out to us through Messenger. Nice asking from uh, fishing questions to wildlife questions to boating, so it is a good variety of topics. And then another success story I would say is the participation in our program. 
we have seen an increase in participation in our fiction bodies, which uh, have already been taking place at our agency. Uh, we saw an increase when we started the program offering the valuable resources. And I would also say those programs that I mentioned before that we created specific to this audience, and those are our nature hikes. So Diana and I choose three different places, and usually WMAs or parks, and we try to just take people out there, tell them it's safe, these are the things that you need to look at, pay attention to the kiosk, pay attention to the rules, make sure you have um, the emergency contact, something happens, and that way we kind of give them more confidence to be out there uh, because sometimes they're really, let's say, they, they have fear. They don't, they don't know if they're breaking any rules. They don't know if they're allowed there. Um, so by using a WMA or a PAR, some kind of partner, and by telling them how to better understand the rules of that place, we provide them with resources and we help them to become a little more independent and hopefully uh, they will take their families and their kids out there and then that's what we all want we want those kids to you know grow up with a love for the outdoors a love for outdoor activities whatever it is it's hiking or fishing or whatever and we just want to promote those outdoor activities and make sure that People know that it's a safe way to do those and that they belong there too. Okay. So you, all right, this is, y'all know me. I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path a little bit. You just made me think about something. Um, It's kind of a two-part question. Number one, what is, in Colombia, what is the hunting and fishing culture like there? And just, you know, I guess as a, as as someone coming from South America to North America, you know, is is there like, it, are you guys seeing like a a sustained interest in hunting? You know, people coming from South America up here, and this is why I ask. I've got a buddy right now um, that's named Charlie. He's in Argentina right now doing a whole bunch of hunting, um, and there's a, a a very 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 popular hunting culture there. So, like, what is it like down there, and and what is the interest level for people that are migrating from South America to North America? Well, so I'm not a hundred percent sure um, what are the numbers for the United States, and, you know how they, but from what I know, in Colombia. Other South American countries, there are two kinds of uh, hunting and even fishing. So, for hunting, there is uh, the groups of people that go hunting because they need to feed their family. They go and they hunt pretty much anything that is available and they bring it to the table because that's pretty much the only means to bring food to the table. And there is also another group of hunters that are the wealthy hunters that probably follow more of the regulations, more of the trophy species, and only wealthy people will have access to that kind of hunting. 
So from my perspective, it's a great opportunity for content organizations and groups to bring to those immigrants that are more like middle class that maybe never had access to the hunting opportunities back home. Um, fishing is similar, uh, well, fishing in our country is more uh, like for people, again, bringing food to the table and all that kind of stuff. And I will say too, in our countries, fishing and hunting is pretty unregulated. So that's unfortunate because um, from that perspective too, if a lot of people come here believing that they can just take whatever and overfish and over maybe, I don't know so much about overhunting, but I know they might overfish just because uh, they think it's kind of like back home and that's not the case. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Now, okay, so all right, this is my last question on that. Um, because you just really it's it's just very interesting. And I, I have to ask, like, you know, how do people respond to that? So if you guys are saying, Hey, look, like you're overfishing, like you're over your limit, like what are the penalties for that? Knowing because I'm assuming you guys are leading with positive intent also. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like I I would like I would think that you guys are addressing, you know people in, 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 in y'all's community, like uh, with the assumption that maybe you just don't know, I know it's probably a broad assumption, but I think that's the responsible thing to do. So like what's been the interactions when you come across somebody and say, Hey, look, you're, you're, you're either doing a little bit too much or you don't know this, you're not getting it right. How's that been? I think for the most part it's positive because they, uh, again, with us taking them to our WMAs and by showing them where the money goes, they can actually see that connection better. So they can they can actually see that we have law enforcement and we have other personnel that takes care of that by life. And that connection is a little more clear here than it might be back in our countries. So I think for the most part, it's very positive. Of course, we have few people are really upset and they might always say, but why? It is put in there for all of us to use, why we have to do this. But for the most part, like they know the, it is better to follow the rules. It is better uh, to, to do what's the right thing. And uh, I think for the most part, it's very positive. Cool, 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 cool. Well, that, that's good. Um... Okay, so now for the, the 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 big ugly umbrella in the room. We have a not umbrella, the big ugly elephant in the room. Um with firearms in this country right now and and and, and it is something that for some odd reason we all have differing opinions on and that's totally fine. But you know, I want to know with everything going on and there's a tremendous amount of fear and, and, and not to go down that rabbit hole, but there have been questions about firearms acquisition, safety, uh, you know, how people in minority communities feel about them and things like that. But let me ask you guys this. Um, has there been an issue of firearm safety? Um, has the issue of firearm safety been an issue or a factor in getting more black and brown people into the outdoors? 
Paul, I'm super glad you asked that question. <laughs> um, it was coming. Not really, because, <laughs> well, really, um, like everyone else, the issue of firearm safety is incredibly important to us. It is incredibly important to us. Um, and yes, to be honest, there is a, we recognize the national concern around firearms and firearm safety. So I can't speak to um, what should or shouldn't happen or anything of that nature, but I, I can say that, yes, a lot of Black and brown people that we see um, are concerned or maybe feel a barrier when it comes to shooting sports that or any sport that involves firearm use or other people using firearms around them. Um, that being said, DNR has a ton of various programs, I mean, a lot of different programs statewide that are meant to promote firearm safety. For example, we do a lot of shooting clinics. We do a lot of specialized shooting clinics too, where we bring people in, we sit them down, we teach them how to disassemble the firearm, the different types of firearms they can use, um, the different types of firearms and what they're used for by others, um, basic safety protocol when handling a firearm. Um, one of the first things I did when I moved to South Carolina, because I knew I was coming to a state where firearm use was a big deal, mm -hmm. um, which is great. The first thing I did was go to a women's shooting clinic to learn firearm safety. So um, it, a part of it does come down to we, we want people to feel empowered to come and educate themselves, be educated on um, issues such as handling, storing, and using firearms. Um, and every single thing we do is free as well so that we, we limit down that barrier. And then you do get the opportunity to utilize one of our various um, shooting ranges when you come to one of the DNR shooting clinics. So you get the opportunity to handle the firearm with a safe individual uh, a licensed instructor with you during that time, usually one of our uh, law enforcement officers and i've worked with some really amazing fire uh or law enforcement officers that are teaching firearm safety and they are so sweet and so supportive and really encouraging and um when you're shooting the clay and you miss and they they help you with understanding it, it it's just it's really fun experience and as somebody coming in being originally very scared of it mm -hmm. um and scared to even touch the firearm and i was like i don't actually want to do this yep. um i just want to watch and they encouraged me to come up um, it was great. It made me feel very empowered, um, not necessarily to go out and buy a, firearms, you know, I wanted to become even more educated, but I felt empowered to be like, okay, I have a better understanding. And we try to do our best to offer that to all people who are interested in that learning that firearm safety in South Carolina. Um, and there are national programs as well. I want to plug um, something here on the national level a resource that is available to a lot of people from audiences we work with. So specifically underrepresented audiences, there's a program called First Shoots. Um, and there's also the uh, National African-American Gun Association as well, who work on um, kind of breaking down on that national scale, those barriers that we see in black and brown communities. Uh -huh. So the firearm usage and safety. it's so funny because Philip Smith. Oh, Whoops, sorry. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's so funny, but Philip Smith is the president of that organization. Oh, yeah. And uh, 
tell you how small of a world it is and, and how close knit we all are in this thing. It's funny, you know that organization. I know the organization because I was a subscriber to like their newsletter and stuff like that. But also, he is good friends with Ashley's godmom. <laughs> so we actually have a very direct resource to um, the National African American Gun Association. Um, and they've done a lot of a lot of great things. Um, you know, but. I think that's important, you know, to to do that. But Alex, I wanted to I didn't want to cut you off either. I just I like little small world coincidences and stuff, but I didn't want to cut you off either, Alex. No, no. I, mean, I, I just oh, like Diana, these programs are for all the audiences and um, they're great, you know. I mean, we also have a Tomo program and we uh when I first came to DNR, we uh had the chance to open it up to a lot of our Hispanic participants, and that was great. And um, the um, actually Archer in the schools is also another one that is a good for a lot of our Hispanic kids, and that's a great program for SCNR. So yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm also really interested in addition to you know figuring out what some of those barriers and helping you know, underrepresented communities feel better about firearms usage, but like, is it something that you guys, are you guys finding a lot of success encouraging, you know, minorities to get firearm certifications, right? Like, so what I'm doing for Georgia Wildlife Federation is, um, you know, is the academics of field facilitator and we're encouraging college students who would be the student interns and things like that to go through the process of getting, you know, the, the firearm certification, just to know what you're doing. You know, are you guys seeing an, an, an increase in, in folks registering, you know, for those? And I know you guys do them like every, is it, it like a few times a year also, like y'all have the whole firearms education and certification. Yeah. So every, um, a few times a year. I can't say exactly how often. I know that that number has changed when COVID happened and things are picking back up now. But a few times a year, we we do those firearm safety classes and shooting clinics and opportunities to encourage people to feel empowered. I cannot say, um, one, because I do not have the numbers offhand, and I also don't believe we've been seeing it. I don't believe that we've seen an increase in black and brown communities utilizing those shooting clinics and utilizing those firearm safety courses that does not speak to um, sales or right. acquisition of firearms that just speaks to utilizing those courses. Right. And I think that um, what Alex and I are doing in our program, what SCDNR is doing on a greater scale um, is a lot around getting with people who already hunt, people who are already in the outdoors and using firearms and getting with those people to empower and embolden others to feel like this is a sport that you can and feel welcome to recreate in working with you guys as well to learn more about resources we can bring to South Carolina. Um, it, it is something that we see the need for definitely, but I can't say that we um, have all of the answers for it at this time, I should say. <laughs> Gotcha. 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 Yeah. I, 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 I've got these left field thoughts and questions and I'm like, wait a minute. And I try to find correlations between things, um, you know, and, and that's it. Well, you know, as we, 
wrap things up, first of all, I, I, I want to thank you guys, and I'm excited to come out and work with you all. Um, but one other organization that does a ton of work with you guys and has been incredibly influential um, for us at Minority Outdoor Alliance is the National Wild Turkey Federation. And you guys work very closely there. So, like, I want to I want to get this last little bit of input from you. What's what's that relationship been like? And, and, and I know you guys have been doing some great work just over the last few years. That I'm, I'm super glad you asked about that, because our relationship has been amazing. Um, I forgot to mention this earlier when I was talking about our field day. So we actually are utilizing the National Wild Turkey Federation facilities um, to host our field day events. And um, they are in Edgefield, South Carolina. And our goal with them is to help us in our program be that introductory line, that introductory first step into the outdoors, feeling empowered, coming, doing some of our classes that we have there, such as the learn to kayak, learn to hike, learn to learn um, ethics when it comes to hunting. We do a lot of those programs there because they do have a beautiful facility. Of course, they have a lot of trails and a lot of opportunity for us to utilize that facility. Um, But they also give us the opportunity to turn those beginners into lifelong outdoor enthusiasts, outdoor recreationists, who are then going to um, empower the next generation of outdoor stewards. And they give us those opportunities by letting us use their facility, teaching um, their own courses, such as uh, recipes with wild game, for example. They do a lot of that. They work with Boy Scouts directly as well to teach outdoor leadership and stewardship. Um, they do so much great work that it's been really beneficial for Alex and I to just kind of sneak in there. Travis from NWTF is amazing and works with us, um, is very flexible with us as well by letting us use the facilities um, to host a lot of these clinics and host these big field days that we do, as well as being very welcoming to our our audience that we have. We actually do have a large audience of people in that community of South Carolina. It's very close to the border of Georgia, actually, that want to get into the outdoors, but aren't sure where to start. And their facility offers us the opportunity to host programs that can be that first step to create lifelong outdoor stewards. So that relationship, that partnership so far has been very beneficial. And we're looking forward to seeing some some very effective lifelong benefits, lifelong, but, you know, (laughs) some long-term benefits from interacting and and having these programs with them. Well, that is awesome. Um, And of course I had, I wanted to shout them out, Mandy, Becky, um, just everybody on that team. There's so many other good people there um, that we were able to meet at the convention. So I just thought it was it, it it was always just that six degrees of separation between like, hey, you know, you guys are working with, you know, South Carolina and you guys are working with MOA. All right, great. Um, and, you know, even finding out that Hunter, like, you know, meeting Hunter Morton and all kinds of stuff like that. It's a very small world. Um, and in even in our underrepresented communities, as we, you know, get more people in the outs- outdoors. All that does is remind me that we are everywhere, you know, and there are resources that do, you know, help with representation that do look like you. Like there are people 
in our communities everywhere, you know, on all levels of, of, of out of the outdoor industry and the outdoor community, you know, and we're all trying to do, you know, very similar things. And that's get people feeling good about being outside. You know, so I just want to, I just want to absolutely thank you guys. Um, I am excited because I'm going to pick up y'all's birds for this weekend to, um, you know, for the demos and stuff like that. And my dogs are acting like they want to point some birds. So, you know. (laughs) We are very excited to have you guys come. Um, Yeah, this is just a huge, and, and, you know, it's going to change how these programs evolve in the future as well. Yep, it sure will. Well, Alex, I'm going to put you on the hot seat and ask you to lead us out. What can we do to, you know, give a, give us some words of wisdom. Let's do it like that. Let's give us some words of wisdom on the way out of this podcast. Oh gosh. Uh, I will say, well, it doesn't matter if you're bilingual or not. The most important thing is to make sure that you're making everyone feel welcome to the outdoors, to new activities, because from my own experience, I know that coming to a new activity can be intimidating, especially if uh, you feel or you know that you're different from the majority. So the nonverbal communication is very important. And I will, like you mentioned, since we all have similar missions and similar goals, just make sure that you are uh, making other people feel welcome. Um, don't overdo it, though. <laughs> um, and just, um, you know, keep in mind that the main goal is the conservation of those beautiful resources that we have, South Carolina and Georgia. And uh, we want to make sure that the next generation knows that it is important to get outdoors. And that's the only way to learn to love all those things that we have outdoors. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head and, you know, I appreciate it. Ashley appreciates it. Um, and we are excited to get up there with y'all. So we will be seeing y'all very soon. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. 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 Well, folks, this is another episode of the minority outdoor alliance our outside podcast and thank y'all for listening and tuning in and supporting our organization and supporting south carolina dnr and please let's get y'all out to this field day check for the registration information in the show notes and we'll see y'all on the next episode